goes through John Glennon. Hey, got time. John Glenn. John Glenn, first American to orbit the Earth in space. Yo, was the senator for the state of Ohio, oldest man to go back up into space because he's a PC god. Before all of that, he was a fucking Marine. An air winger, though, a pilot. <laughs> right, Captain Smith? Right. Have that camera. Get the fuck away from me. <laughs> John Glenn, 1974, ran for a Senate against a, against a politician named Howard Metzenbaum. Howard Metzenbaum was a sorry motherfucker. John Glenn, at this point, was a Marine. First American to orbit the Earth in space. Howard Metzenbaum asked him, how can you run for Senate when you never held a job? What the fuck would you do if somebody said that shit to you? Now I'm going to change a little bit of this. I can. It's my world. John Glenn said, is that right? I served 23 years in the United States Marine Corps. I fought for two wars. I flew 149 missions. My plane was hit by an aircraft fire on 12 different occasions. I was in the space program. It wasn't my job. It was my life that was on the line. And this wasn't a nine-to-five job where I could take time off to take the daily cash receipts to the bank. I asked you to come with me as I went the other day to a veteran's hospital. And you stand there. You look at those men with their mangled bodies. You look them in the eye and tell them that they never held a job. You come with me and visit any gold star mother. You look her in the eye and tell her her son never held a job. You come with me to the space program and visit the widows and the orphans of Ed White, Gus Grissom, and Roger Chase. And you look those kids in the eye and tell them that their dads never held a job. You come with me on this Memorial Day weekend coming up to Arlington National Cemetery where I got more friends than I'd like to remember. And you stand there. You watch those waving flags. You think about this nation and you tell me that those people never held a job. Fuck! I'll tell you, Howard Metzabob, you should be on your knees every day of your life thanking God that there are some men who have held a job. And they required a dedication to purpose, a love of country, and a dedication to duty that was more important than life itself. Their self-sacrifice is what made this country fucking possible. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. I'm on with my co-host, Chantel Taylor, and Nick Kumalatos. Uh, how's it going, everybody? Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, no worries. Um, it's good to finally have you on, Nick. Um, we were talking, I think, earlier this year, right, about that? Like, like way earlier in the year. I think we've been talking for a full year about getting on here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's good to have you on here. Um you you were in the Marine Corps for 12 years, and then you've done a bunch of things since getting out. We're going to get into all of that. Um, can we first start with your early life and then how you ended up joining the Marine Corps? Absolutely. So I, uh, I, I was raised by, well, I guess a quick, a quick plug, my mother, um, who's actually a best-selling author now. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 joke with her, I joke with her about the, you know, when we were when we were growing up in a, a white Toyota Corolla with no air condition, 
um, driving all over the United States. I'm like, why couldn't you have done that <laughs> with me and my little brother when we were small? Um, but you know, it's all a process. So yeah, we, I, I grew up with a, you know, a single family, uh, single parent home. And, you know, once puberty kicked off, I was a, the way they like to describe me is I was a sweet boy, uh, prior to puberty. And then, uh, <laughs> once that happened, I just, man, I just went all the, you know, all the wrong ways, uh, started getting in trouble and ended up, uh, ended up with two felonies by the time I was 13. Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I was, I was off to a really bad start and it just kind of clicked. Well, after being in juvenile attention and then ju- one time juvenile attention was full. So they sent me over to the County and, uh, that was an eye opener, um, being 13 over there. And I, you know, I just realized like, this is not, not for me. So I had to do some community service. And, uh, by the time I was 14, I completely cleaned up my act, no drugs, no alcohol, no getting in trouble by 14. And just quickly, Nick, how does that work for you? Cause uh, obviously then, you know, later down the line, your military service came, but usually in the UK, if you've had, especially modern day, if you've had like quite a checkered past, it's quite hard to. Yeah. To people, people are like, because I started the, YouTube, well, I'm sure we'll get to the YouTube stuff, but, um, yeah people are absolutely blown away that I was able to pull it off. And, and, you know, it was not easy. It was not like, you know, they just gave me a, you know, a, a golden brick road and said, follow this. It, it was, it was not that easy. Um, at 14, I really kind of cleaned it up and, and I started working by the time I was 17, I lived on my own, I had a really good job making a lot of money. Um, I was, I actually had quit school and got at the 10th grade, my 10th grade year, I, at the end of it, I was making a good amount of money. And it, to me, it just didn't make sense to go back to high school. So I'd gotten my, I got my GED that summer and I was done. And you can imagine 17, making a good amount of money, living on the beach in Panama city, Florida. Uh, it just kind of hit me one day that what, what else is there like in life? Like this can't be it. I'm 17 years old. I'm pretty much okay. I'm pretty good, but this can't just be it for the rest of life. Like just go to work and then, you know, come home and hang out and that's it. Like I've, I've at the point of arrival, this is all I've got for the rest of my life. And that's really what led me to, uh, to look into the military and, and join the Marine Corps. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do the best one, you know, in my opinion at the time, I was like, what's the hardest thing that you can do? And without really any research or like really the internet or anything, you know, everybody kind of just pointed to the Marine Corps and say, that's definitely the hardest thing to do. And, and there's uh, a lot of history there as well, isn't there? Yeah, there. absolutely. And, and, uh, uh, and just to go back to your initial point is that, and the reason I brought it up about how difficult it is to get into the military is, is sometimes I, th- I do believe that the military misses a trick because someone like you, who potentially they could have just, you know, turned away. And then oh, they did. Off. They did yeah. turn me away. Did they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They laughed me out of the office. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I tell kids this too. This is part. This is the reason why I'm so honest about it is because it's it is a learning lesson. And um, so when I decided, okay, I'm going to join. I'm going to join the Marine Corps. Um, I walked in there, and of course they're like, oh yeah, sure, come in. And then you know you start looking into it, and they fill out paperwork, and they did a background check, and they're like, well what that get, get out of here. There's no, there's no way that you're coming into the military. And that was, and they basically told me no right out the gate. 
So they did yeah. a background check. They found out I had a GED and um, they just, they told me no right out the gate. And that was probably the worst thing that they could have done because I'm a little, I'm a little bit of a rebel at heart. And if you tell me no, I'm, it's just going to light a fire in my belly and, and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to prove you wrong that. And so I spent the next two and a half years setting my life up to, um, to get into the Marine Corps. I even got out of my house. I moved back. I moved in with my grandmother. I had to go because I had a GD. I had to go to school. I think I probably had a hundred different letters of recommendation uh, my mom actually helped me with it a lot. I did interviews. I think I went to MAPS like four different times, had to take the ASVAB a couple different times. I mean, it was just one. They did psych profiles. I mean, it was just one roller coaster after another. And every roadblock that I hit, every time they told me no, I just found a way around it. They said, there's no way to do this. I mean, I mean, I had a drug waiver, I mean, but a lot of kids back then did. Um, and Every 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 roadblock they put in front of me, I I just looked at it as an obstacle to overcome and figure out how to overcome it. And there was a lot of them that they were like, "Well, this is just policy, and there's no way that you're going to get in the Marine Corps." And I found a way. And the, and what I and what I tell kids is, like, between you and a candidate that has nothing wrong, why are you going? Why would the recruiter waste your waste their time trying to help you get in when you have a bad track record? Unless you prove to them that you're going to be an asset to the Marine Corps, that you're worth putting the time and effort in. And and what year was it that you were finally accepted in? To, uh, year 2000. Okay, so just before the wars kicked off. Yep. So there was there was we were at peacetime. I had no idea what you know we were going to do, but um, we were totally at peacetime, and I yeah, didn't have. I had no plans to go to college. I just wanted to be in the Marine Corps. And, and by the sounds of it, Nick, as well, you know, I know you like you spoke briefly about the, you know, your sort of hum, humble start in life with your mum and stuff. But she sounds like an incredibly bright woman, and obviously you've, you know, educationally you sound bright. So there must have been something that she had, that you know, potentially, you know, maybe not financially, but g- gave you something else. Yeah, there was, you know, it was. Um, it was interesting. I was extremely frustrated with her when I was young because we moved around so much. I mean, we lived all over the United States. And, and I make jokes about it now saying that I feel like I would wake up and wake up and we'd be in the car like, oh, I guess we're moving again. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I used to say, like, I think she's running from the law. I'm not really sure why we're moving all the time. But, you know, it's um, you know, I think maybe she's dodging, dodging, you know, some sort of warrant. <laughs> but really, it was just it was me and my brother. And I have a sister that was lived with my dad and, um, you know, she, she just worked hard. She worked a couple jobs taking care of us. And, you know, we moved where the jobs were, but as a child, you don't really see that. And, uh, I mean, there was times where like we would get someplace and I wouldn't even unpack my bag because I was like, well, we're probably gonna be leaving pretty soon. So I'll just leave it packed. And, uh, that was kind of the life we lived, but you know what, as much as that frustrated me as a child, looking back on it now, I'm like super flexible the military was super easy because I was like, okay, pack a bag, we're ready to roll. Like moving all yeah. over the place, deploying all over the place. I mean, hell, to this day, I that's my lifestyle now. I mean, I have a obviously a, a you know, I guess a base of operations that I operate out of. But as far as as far as going all over the place, I mean, I'm on the road 
three or four times a month. And to me, it's nothing. And that really gave me the flexibility to kind of sleep anywhere. Not, you know, I'm sure you've traveled with people that are like, oh, these accommodations aren't good. The food's not good. This is not good. The AC doesn't work. And to me, it's, I don't know, it's all relative. You can have a good time anywhere and any accommodations. You just keep moving. Yeah, and it's, um, I think, a lot, and often at times when you, you, people have these, everyone has a story, but you hear stories like that where things started out a little rough and then you kind of figure it out at some point. And I'm sure, you know, I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm sure you wouldn't trade that for anything because it helps make, you know, make the man that you are today. And absolutely. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be the person that I am without that kind of adversity in my life and kind of right. coming up that way. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't even change me getting in trouble. Right. Cause it just, it, it gives you a different kind of perspective and it, it's a great teacher, in my opinion, you know, to kind of make some mistakes early on and then figure it out. And then you kind of avoid making some of those mistakes, uh, you know, throughout the, the I mean, we all make mistakes, but I think it helps you avoid certain things as you are older, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's, I think it, it's, it gives you its perspective. I think it just gives you, you know, from a young age and I still feel young, um, but it just gives me a lot of perspective on life um, on various different levels that. I don't see in other people. So I feel fortunate and blessed that, that I've, you know, that I've been able to live the life that I've had, even with the adversity, because that's, that is what gives me the perspective on life. You know, and it's interesting you say that because I was on a job recently with a guy and I'd, I'd never met him before. So this was like a first experience with him. And he said something really, um, really interesting. He said, you know, for all of the, all of the, if you could erase all of the bad stuff that's ever happened in your life, but the only the only way that you could do it is erase all of the stuff that surrounded that. You probably wouldn't, you know, because if you think of all that the shitty things that go on, they're usually attached to really good stuff or good people. Absolutely, that, absolutely. It's like you, your. I feel like you that's your foundation. Yeah, definitely. So, Nick, let's um let's talk about your your career in the Marine Corps. Uh, did you go straight into uh, Force Recon? I did not. I, I did not. It's funny you say that because I actually saw a poster. I didn't even know what recon was, but I saw an old poster in the recruiting office and I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And the recruiter was like, yeah, sure, buddy. <laughs> Let's just try to get you in the Marine Corps first. So it took me like it took me about two and a half years. And after after a million um, interviews, I finally got my chance. And you guys are going to love this as if it wasn't enough. Um when I went to the, when I finally went to boot camp, on training day seven, on the seventh training day, I broke, I broke my wrist on the bayonet, excuse me, on the bayonet course. Oh wow! Which meant I got dropped from my platoon, and went and set an MRP for two and a half months. Oh wow! And at that point, right when I first got there, I actually tried to quit. I was like, this isn't for me because it was, I mean, it was crazy. There was people hitting themselves in the head with like flashlights. Some guy tried to hang himself in the bathroom. There's people, I mean, it just looked like at that time in my life, it looked like like a war zone hospital. I mean, there was people with cast up to their hips. I mean, they were just all kinds of busted up kids and they were acting crazy. And I was like, this is not for me. This is not what I signed up for. 
Um, but luckily I had some good leadership in there and some drill instructors that basically said, hold tight, heal up, hang in there and, uh, make the best of it. And I did. And, uh, even though they tried to kick me out, they were like, well, we don't know if this, this bone is going to heal. We might have to do surgery at, take bone out of your hip and then, you know, replace it and then medically separate you. And, uh, I was like, oh no, that's, <laughs> that's, that's not a course of action that we're going to run. And, um, and so I got back to training and ended up graduating company honor grad. Nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So, you know, you were, you were in MARSOC or the Marine Raider Battalion, but that came later on, obviously, as. Uh, yeah. So, so what happened was I lost, and I don't know if you guys know anything about the military. I, I don't know if this is all the military or just the Marine Corps, but. You know, they line up for recruits. They line up boat spaces. Even when you reenlist, they, every MOS has a boat space for that month um, and that year. And I was originally an 0311 contract. But the way I understand it and is that because I got hurt and got bumped back, when it came time to assign MOSs and, and for, for to get orders to go to SOI or MCT, um, I had lost my boat space. So I went... And they said, you got to go to admin. And they, so I went to, to admin and I actually just talked about this in a, in a, in a, a YouTube video. I went to admin. And this master sergeant says, recruit, I'm going to give you the best job in the Marine Corps. And I said, I sir, Roger that, sir. You know, sign here, two bags full, sir. And, <laughs> and I went back to my platoon and he had given me uh, actually administration, if you can believe that. So I was a, I was an act, I think it was called a diary clerk. Or something like oh, that, wow. SRB, SRB clerk. Or I don't, I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's something in the administrative field um, for the Marine Corps. And uh, I showed up, and I immediately got in trouble, and it, it just was not for me. I remember shredding paper for about three weeks. Um, were, you, were you learning to do like stoppage drills on the typewriter? Uh, yeah, basically, basically. And, and you know, in my mind, I'm like, I, I graduated company honor grad. I had worked two and a half years to get in the Marine Corps and I showed up and no disrespect to those, those Marines, like every Marine's a Marine. And I feel that way. And if you serve like only 4% of only 0.4% of the population of the U S serve in the U S military. And we're an all volunteer force and, I mean, it's amazing that anybody does anything in the military. I, th I commend them. But at that time, it, <laughs> it just wasn't for me. And it's not the Marine Corps that I – and I was on the air wing too. So I, not only was I an admin, but I was on the air wing. And it just wasn't the picture that I had put in my head. And um, so I struggled as a young PFC in the Marine Corps. And uh, luckily, there were some other NCOs in there that kind of took me under their wing and, and helped me out. And uh, very soon from that, I actually got an individual augment to go to Turkey for my first deployment. And I'll tell you what, that really saved, probably saved my uh, military career and spoiled the hell out of me. I was, a, I was a Marine corporal on a joint billet with the Air Force and the Navy and Army and, and the Turkish and um, Brits and everybody was out there. Uh, mm -hmm. Operation, Operation Northern Watch actually turned into Iraqi freedom. And... Um, so it was, I just spent seven months out there and that was a really big eye opener on a large scale of things. And when I came back, because I had not, never really had done my job in the Marine Corps, I sucked at it. I mean, I was, I was a corporal about to pin on sergeant 
and and I'd been in the Marine Corps probably two and a half, like broaching three years, and I didn't know my job. So they tried to put me in a leadership position in 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 the administration, and I failed at it miserably, and ended up doing basically a bunch of uh, operations training for the unit, and and then that's when I met a man named Sergeant Major McAvoy, who was a recon guy, and he said in, in not so nice terms uh, to go recon. And I said, what's that? And then he, he's the one that hooked me up with the second force screener and when I took the, scre- uh, the screening for second force. So then, um, so now you, you go into the selection for uh, force recon. Uh, did yep. you, you make it on your first try? I did. I took my screening and uh, there's actually, I, I, I became, uh, for a little while, I became famous because my photo, and I can send this to you, my, my photo ended up in the screening, ended up in um, Marine Corps Times. Oh, nice. And right, right on the cover. Well, yeah, you say nice. You say nice, <laughs> except you're, you're a candidate. You're a candidate going about to go to recon indoctrination platoon and your, and your face is plastered all over the Marine Corps Times. So uh, at the time, it was not a great deal. It was not a great deal. And I, I paid for it dearly. And so did one of my friends that looked a lot like me at the time. Um, <laughs> so just, they, just, just a, this is a question for me is, is that when you go in and obviously that your MOS, you ended up being like a clerk, as, as you said. So even though you were going to force recon, did you not have to go and do um, like, I'm not saying retrain is a, a, an infantry MOS or did you have to? Oh, I started, I basically started over, yeah, as a sergeant. So I was a corporal, I was a corporal when I took the screening and I, I picked up sergeant right before I went to go training. So it was like a couple yeah. months later, I picked up sergeant and, and then I went off to, to got, so what they basically do is they send you temporary orders, you go to the unit and then you do your training and this, they don't do this anymore. It's changed the way they do this. But for me, I went to second force and I went through rip with a bunch of good guys um, who are still friends to these days. Uh, amazing, amazing men. And, um, so we, we went through rip and then you go to your school. So you basically have a pre-training course to make sure that you make it. Um, the attrition rates well over 50%, even in the pre-training and the, in the recon indoctrination platoon. And then you, we, I went to recon school, uh, that was at Fort story, um, up in, um, uh, Virginia. And that was three months as well. And then once I went through that, and that covers that covers all of your training, your basic skip reconnaissance skills for patrolling, and you know all of your other you know basic level, I would say one thousand level skills. And then um, and then I went back to Second Force uh, as a reconnaissance marine. And then I had to go back to my unit. Funny story, I had to go back to my unit, the the air wing side, the, then check out and get all my stuff, and and then go to my team. And uh, they tried to not let me leave. They were like, no, you're not leaving. I'm like, I don't even have this MOS. You guys don't even have a space for me on the, on the TO. And they were like, they were trying to mess with me. And my team leader at the time got involved and they said, and then of course they released me. And it was a, it was a whole big deal, but. Um, and what, and what year was this when you did, what, where are we at? What, what year were you? Two, 2004. So I officially, yeah, officially changed over. So I went through training all 2004 and then in 2000, um, 2004, I switched over to second force. And then in 2005, yeah. I went to, uh, they needed a bunch of sergeants. And of course this pissed me off, but they needed a bunch of sergeants to go to third recon battalion. And 
in the grand scheme of things, you people in the Marine Corps, inside the Marine Corps, they look at force recon as like varsity, right? Like you're the, you're on the varsity team. And, uh, I was like, I had made it. And even I was the lowest guy on the team. I was like still super stoked to be there and super stoked to like be around the caliber of individuals, but they needed sergeants. They needed six sergeants from second force to go to, uh, to go to third recon battalion. And I happened to be one of them and I was super pissed and I'll never forget the master sergeant that told me, and I was bitching about it, you know, being a little cocky, be a little cocky shit. And, uh, this master sergeant said, listen, I know you think it's bad, but trust me, it's going to be the best thing for your career. And he was absolutely right. Um, I went out there because when you're out at third recon, they don't have a force company at the time. And, uh, so you have to do everything. And the guys out, the guys out there are just so much more experienced because they have to do everything and there's no breaks. All you're doing out there at third recon is training and deploying. And, uh, everybody that comes back from there is just so much more experienced and well-rounded reconnaissance Marines. And, uh, so I, any, any guy that's ever, uh, signs up for recon and, and they ask for volunteers to go to Oki, raise your hand because I mean, you're just going to get so much out of it from being over there. Right. So now, um, at some point in, I believe it was 06 was when, um, Marsak was officially stood up or yep. was in yep. the, officially. Okay. Yeah. Second force. So second force rolled up its flag and, um, and, and became second Marine special operations battalion under Marsak. So it, it, it dis it detached from the math and fell under Marsak, which was under SOCOM. And that was in, that was in 2006. And, uh, I was actually in Iraq at the time, uh, when all those guys and a lot of those guys were my buddies cause we all came in together and, um, so I was, you know, chatting with them and keeping contact with them. And then at that time, so my orders came up and recon wanted me to stay recon battalion wanted me to stay, but I had a family at the time and, and I was really ready to get back to the States. I'd been over there for three years. And the deal was with my monitor that if I, if I went to Oki, that I would, I would be afforded the opportunity to go back to second force. And, uh, the monitor at the time, he granted that and said, well, you know, it's not second force anymore. It's second, uh, you know, Marine special operations. Plan. I said, yeah, I know that's exactly where I want to go. He said, well, the only thing is you're going to have to take selection. And I said, whatever, you know, let's, let's do it. At the time I was a little upset because I had ended up at third recon. I was an assistant team leader, a team leader. And at the time when I was, when I left, I was a platoon sergeant for one of the Bravo company platoons. So I'd done, I'd done decent over there. And, um, and again, some really great leaders and, and, and that's the reason why I did good. Cause I had some good leaders over there. And, uh, so I, in 2007, I came back and, and I took selection. I think it was like the second, second or third selection class. And, and I was mad that I had to go, but once I went through and I saw the way it run, it was really an eye opener on the whole special operations, you know, field and why there is a selection process. And, and to be a hundred percent honest, there's a lot of recon Marines that didn't get selected and, and rightfully so. Um, the crew that we had with us from second, um, Raider battalion, uh, did all get selected. Um, but it was a really, it's a really, really well done selection course. And I was fortunate enough in my later in my career towards the end, um, to be a cadre for it. And, uh, I can't say enough good things about it. I mean, it's just, 
it, it's it's actually amazing how they how they run that and how they select people. Uh, and it truly is. They truly do select the best of the best. So and that was it. So I was Marsoc from I was in I was in the command from there until I got out. OK, so, you know, I've, I've seen this on social media before uh, amongst Marines, uh, you know, Facebook groups or whatever or, or Instagram even. Um, and I, I think it's generally from what I can remember is generally with like the older Marines, uh, maybe guys who served in Vietnam in Force Recon or guys who were yeah. in the 80s or something like that. And, and they'll have these kind of debates, uh, you know, hoping to get, I guess, some input from guys from the GWAT where they're like, if we have Force Recon, what's the point of having MARSOC? And, and, and what's the difference? <laughs> right. You know, it's funny you say that. So I, you know, I, I started a YouTube channel and that's always been my most requested video. And we just launched it. I, I didn't do it right out the gate because I wanted to do it right. I wanted to put the history together. So I put a video together on YouTube and we can talk, talk a little bit about it. But um, I go over you know, my history and why I can speak on it, the history of Recon and MARSOC, and then what the difference is between Recon and MARSOC and what the requirements are to get in both those. And what's the really cool thing that we did is we included both recon Marines and Raiders advice in the video. So you don't just hear it from me. You hear about six other guys as well okay. um, on their, on their advice. Um, and that video of, of course went viral. And I think in two days we're at 160,000 views. Nice. Uh, wow. Yeah. So it's pretty it's exciting stuff. And uh, so it was really done well, very tasteful, uh, very respectful. And, um, did you expect it to go viral, Nick? How? Because uh, I know this sounds bizarre, but when you share something and then you just see the things start clicking up, yeah, you you, ne- you know you, not, you never it? really know. I mean, I, I had a good feeling. I had a good feeling that it was because of the content and because it it, it was requested so much. So I had a good feeling that it would. Um, but you never know. I've I've done other stuff that I've like, oh, this is gonna kill. You know, we're gonna launch this and it's gonna kill. And it just completely falls flat and nobody cares. Yeah. So you, yeah. you know, you just, you just never know. Um, but yeah, it, it, uh, it explains everything. So to break it down, really, uh, I understand why they think that, but at the end of the day is, you know, the, the reconnaissance units and the force reconnaissance units is a special operations capable unit, but it's for the Marine Corps. Like they are the Marine Corps special operations unit that support the MEF and support the division's operations. Now, of course, Force Recon goes out there and they work with a lot of different other people. And, you know, we do, you know, collaborate and they do some, they do, they do some foreign uh, training. I mean, we've worked with, I know when we were out in the, uh, when I was in Okinawa, we were doing training with, you know, the Thais and the, and the Philippines and, and that sort of thing. Um, but it really is in support of the Marine Corps and the Marine Corps' relations with the, the you know, the host national force. Yeah. Uh, MARSOC is part of SOCOM. I mean, they support SOCOM and SOCOM's mission. So I, I made a joke in the video. It's like having two dads. You know, it's like this really awkward relationship that you kind of, you, you answer to the Marine Corps sort of, but because you're in the Marine Corps, but you, you really answer to SOCOM operationally. And it's, you know, it's just kind of this tug of war, weird thing that, um, that we have to deal with. Um, but, but there absolutely is room for both. And as time goes on, I've seen... I've seen the separation between the two get wider and wider. And obviously, you know, first and second force, 
turned into first and second Marine Special Operations Battalion, now called you know Marine Raider Battalions. But you know, initially it was basically like a very you know a second and first and second force with a better budget, better gear, and a better and actually being able to do some missions. And um, but over the years, even when I was in it was drastically changing very fast. The way that we were formed, our training, the missions that we did all kind of shifted and really grew and grew in the soft, in the soft community. And I'll tell you this, and this is not coming from me. This is coming from other people that are outside the Marine Corps, um, in the NSW community, the user stock committee. And they're saying, you know, that these MSOTs that are going out there doing are doing a really good job. And, you know, I just think it's a testament to Marines in a general, that if they're given a task, whatever it may be, they just kind of figure it out and do it really well. And that's what these guys are doing, and they're still doing it. Awesome. So uh, what I'll do, Nick, is when I put up the podcast notes, um, I'll put up the link for that video in the description. So if anyone listening wants to actually check it out, uh, they can check it out uh, by clicking the link. Or, or Actually, what's the name of it? Uh, if anyone listening wants to just go check that out real quick. It's the differences between recon and MARSOC. And you'll see a picture. And it's funny. We actually did a picture of me um, on the left. It's me me as a recon Marine. And then on the right, it's a me as a Marine Raider. So it's, um, you know, I've, I'm one of the very few that have kind of get the best of both worlds. So, but yeah, it says recon versus MARSOC on the, on the picture. And then the label is the uh, difference between Marine recon and Marine Raiders. So do you have uh, trips to both Iraq and Afghanistan? I do. I do. Okay. So uh, would you be willing to share a, a war story with the audience, um, you know, about a time on one of your deployments? Yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the – I mean, I'm sure everybody wants to hear Marshak ones, but I talked about that enough. I, I want to I – what I don't talk about is a, sp- a specific operation that we had in, our, in Iraq – and uh, we were in Fallujah. I was with my recon platoon. And when we went to – my platoon had been together for almost – I want to say like two years. We've been working and training and deploying together for two years. And we were the force platoon for the MU, for the 31st MU. And um, with Mass Sergeant Phil Thoam as the platoon sergeant. And he's actually in that video that we speak of offered some advice. But um, we – while we were on the MU um, – the sergeant major came down and said, Hey, you're the most senior and well-trained platoon in the battalion at the time. And we need a third platoon to go to Iraq. And because we were already been on deployment and work up for so long, we basically had to like sign dwell waivers and, and, uh, to go to Iraq. And of course everybody did. And so we had, a, I think we had maybe two or three weeks off after deployment. And then we were off to, uh, 29 palms to do training and then off to, uh, off to Iraq. Um, just, uh, just quickly, let me just stop you real yeah. quick. So, for people who don't, who might not understand what a mute is, could you just quickly explain that? Yeah, absolutely. So, the mute. When I talk about, um, so I actually explained that in the video too. So, when I talk about the mute, is what that is is a it's a I would say it's America's ready force. So you've got a, an it, it's a Navy boat, and you have an entire group of Marines that make up what they call the Marine Air Ground Task Force, and you've You've got an air component. You've got an infantry component. You've got a reconnaissance component. You've got um, all kinds of special, other special skills on the boat as well. And they kind of make up that they can't. They kind of make up the Marine Expedition Unit. And what happens anywhere in the world if there's a crisis anywhere in the world, a downed pilot, 
a humanitarian thing, um, civilians that need support. Um, if there's a if there's a battle that kicks off, the Muse are out there in the world, and they can be with anywhere within 24 hours. So I mean, you can have an entire Marine Corps air ground task force hitting a land, hitting a you know hitting a beach, hitting a city. Um, responding to whatever may be out there within 24 hours. It's an amazing, it's an amazing force, and that's and and they've and they've proven themselves time and time again. And that's what they call um, basically is is a special operations capable unit because they have the ability to do execute like that. Right. So the the, so, the Mews have been called into Iraq on a couple of different occasions, from what I can and, remember. And and uh, and in 2001 in Afghanistan, I believe it was it was the 20. I don't want to mess up, but I think it was the 22nd Mew that went in um, to Kandahar. Um, I'm yeah, sure somebody would correct me on that. In uh, Helmand, actually, when I was there, there was, um, I want to say it was 23rd or 24th, but they were, I'm pretty 24th. sure they were down in Garmacia for a, a long time, you know, yeah. sort of everything out of there. So they were doing constant rotations, and uh, and actually some of the Mews <laughs> didn't even get on the boat. They were starting to fly the whole Mew over um, mm. to combat just because of the rotations. And that was pretty much my entire career was just rotations in and out of deployment. But, um, so the, yeah, that was the Mew. So we got off the Mew and we went into OIF and of course we're the force platoon, right? So we're going to Fallujah thinking we're going to do raids and we're just going to like go kick in doors and, and basically be a raid force for the battalion, um, and for the RCT. And initially we did do that. And, you know, we were conducting intelligence operations and, you know, doing the best that we could. And, um, you know, it just didn't, it just wasn't working. It was the intel, a lot of times the intel was bad and it was just one dry hole after the other. And uh, it wasn't always the case for every unit and every, and every recon unit. But for, during that time, that's, that's kind of the situation that we were in. And um, so we kind of went back to the basics. We kind of went back, we could, okay. Let's let's slow down and let's not let's not really look at look at how you know awesome we are doing CQB and kicking in doors and blowing breaches. We already know that we can do that, but but how do we really? And this is where my mind kind of clicked into the special operations world is is how can we affect the battle space? Are we really going to affect the battle space by kicking in doors when we're fighting basically an insurgency? I mean, at that time there was no there was no arm, you know military force it was just you know it was it was an insurgency in, inside of uh, iraq so how do you fight that and you the only way to fight that is unconventionally so what we did was we we replaced a company of i believe it was army national guard i believe so our platoon of i want to say like 30 people if that um replaced an entire company of of infantrymen at this at this uh, ford operating base out right outside of fallujah and um, at the time, I want to say there was something like, I don't know, 30 IDs a week on this road. And, and what we did was we basically went, like, I want to say in Dig with each team. And then we would rotate. We would rotate our teams inside the Ville doing basically reconnaissance surveillance, setting up, setting up hide sites in uh, urban hide sites. And we would move every night. And then, so we would go out at night, a team would replace us in the middle of night. So you basically had a reconnaissance team hiding in this ville every night. And it went from, it went from 30 IEDs a week to zero. 
Um, we got a lot of the bad guys. I'll leave it at that. And uh, we cleaned up the place. And we did that with six guys hiding in a ville a night. And um, we were extremely effective. And I'll never forget uh, our company commander was, you know, pulled me. I was a team leader at the time, pulled me aside. He's like, I don't think you realize really what you guys have done is, I mean, you did, you're, you and your, you and your five dudes are, are, are doing the work of an entire company of, of infantrymen. Um, and it was, it, you know, it's, it's just, instead of using a hammer, we used a scalpel and we just broke it down. And, uh, it was almost to the point to, they were, they were, they were afraid of us because they never knew where we were. And they were coming over the mosque speakers saying that if you know where these Americans are, you need to tell us so that we can get them because of, you know, or we're going to kill you and this and that. And we were starting to make friends with the people. You know, I remember one time we, we shot some people, we, uh, we shot some guys and their, the, the guy's windows got broken out. And, um, I know, I know a lot of grunts maybe listen to me and might, might scoff at this, but I, uh, I went back the next day and I, and I gave him money and we paid for all his windows to be replaced. And, you know, is he a bad guy? Is he a good guy? I mean, it's, he's, he's an Iraqi, but what that did was that get, that built a relationship there and, and it just, it kind of painted a picture that we're not the bad guys that we're trying to get the guys that are putting IDs in here and that are harassing you. And if you guys remember, a lot of the a lot of the insurgents in Iraq at the time weren't even Iraqi; they were foreign fighters. So it was it was easy it was easy to kind of segregate these guys and, and to show them that they're kind of the evil doers and they're messing up their city. Um, and and we're really there to help them. And and we really took a you know an unconventional. We went back to our our roots and our you know our kind of recon ways, and uh, we were super super successful on that deployment. Unfortunately, we 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 did lose. Um, some good guys, uh, but but that was that was the time. It was a rough it was a rough go, but we as a whole the platoon did very very well, and that's really what clued me into asymmetrical operations and and thinking unconventionally when I went over to Marshak. And so, just to add, sometimes those those gestures, like the the, the fact that you did pay for those windows, that that can uh, that can go a really long way, and, and I don't think people understand the ripple effect of something like that is that you may not have needed that guy any time after that, but someone else may have. And, and right. that, that gesture could have, is, you know, potentially could save lives. So I don't think that doing that is a bad thing at all. It's not, no, it's, not it's, a, it's, it's a concept, right? It's, you just have to understand the reasons why. And, you know, and yeah. my, my thought was, and I, and we, and my team talked about this when I was a, in a Marine special operations team is, you know, we're, you're not really making it safe for you you're you're doing a job you're shaping the battle space but you're really making it safe for the next team coming in i mean that's what you want to do right so you want to build relationships shape the battle space into a positive in a positive environment so the next team coming that replaces you or whoever comes in there and takes over that battle space has a good working relationship and they walk down the road iraqis don't see them as the enemy they see them as an asset to help them have a better way of life yeah. and i know that sounds so weird to some people but I mean, it just it just worked. And that's the reason why I wrote an article about uh, long term conflict in Afghanistan and and um, and why the VSO mission, you know, village stability operation mission worked and why working with the, you know, the local villages and that kind of stuff worked and why targeting um, on a conventional side didn't work. And we don't have to get into all that, but 
Um, but yeah, no, but you, there's a, there's, I think there's a time for everything. So there's a time when then when guys, you know, that they can't really show any mercy. But then as time goes on, it, it, like you say, you have to shape the battle space. You can't just it it can't just be all everyone sort of going in with that that ferocious attitude because you just end up. You just never, you keep going around in circles, essentially. Absolutely, so yeah. And, and I saw that. I mean, we've all seen that, right? You smash yeah. one guy and two pop two pop right, right yeah. up. And I mean, it's like they multiply. Well, I, I think so it's the, that mentality, you know, the asymmetrical type of approach is is what was successful in the GWAT. And, Absolutely. And, and not every single time, you know, it's not a 100% success rate. But when things did work, that's really what worked or that's what kind of led the spark that, you know, led to other victories and whatnot. And, right. And it's really because it's the kind of uh, conflict that, you know, uh, Western forces are out there fighting. Um, there's a time and place where having the most infantry guys head on with artillery and whatnot was the way to go, you know? So it really just right. depends on the conflict and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you take it. You take an MSOT in that environment. We're, you know, we're not going to we're not going to do well. That's not that's not the the mission for those kind of teams. I mean, there's a place for that in that, um, yeah. but no, that's that's a conventional force mission, and unfortunately, it's just not the world we're living in right now. Right, and um, you know, and and that's a good point to bring up. It's just the mission is different, so it's not like, I mean, because nowadays, kind of. It's been referred to as the golden age of special operations, like uh, yeah, from from all the across the services in the UK as well. Um, their their special ops are, are have a feared reputation across the world, and, and so do Americans and and other Western forces fighting in these places. But um, during the Great Wars, it was the big uh, infantry units. Um, and it's just really, it's that kind of conflict, these small, what they kind of call low intensity conflicts. But, um, you know, it's just a great point to bring up uh, about the differences and, and, and what people are capable of and ex- expected of, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what your, your, uh, listener demographic is, but I'll tell you this, there's a lot of kids that reach out to me and they're like, man, I just want to get out there and get into the shit, you know? And, and I, and I get that, I get that they're passionate about it and everything. And, I don't think that they really knows know what that means yet. But, you know, what I tell them is like, you, you better read a book. <laughs> you better know some history because that's not kind of the, that's not really the fight that we're in. I mean, you need to be able to be really smart, know your history, because those that don't know their history, right, is doomed to repeat it. And right. uh, so, so know the history of the battle, this battle space that you're operating in. And um, I really understand the people and they don't have to be right. They don't have to be good, but you need to understand them. Right. Okay, so Nick, um, so you you separated. You said you finished up as an instructor at uh, Marsoc Selection, or, or I'm sorry, uh, well, Marine Raider Selection. I did. I did. Yeah, I did a. Uh, I just did one class. So they they rotate guys in. So they rotate. Okay. They they take Raiders and they kind of rotate them through as cadre um, to help out. But they have a they have a, a core staff, and then they just bring everybody in. But no, I I uh, I got back from Afghanistan in, in 2012. And, um, and it was pretty much, uh, I got out almost just a couple months after we got back from, uh, Bala Merkab with, uh, a triple two. Okay. So, so let's talk about the transition for you. Um, I know you've been pretty busy since you've gotten out. 
uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, doing several things at once, it seems like. Um, so can, can we talk about kind of, and maybe in chronological order, um, what you started with and kind of what you're at now? Absolutely. So I, I make a joke that I did, I do, I did what every good special operations operator does when he gets out is he goes contract. So I went and contracted for for a uh, for an intelligence company help help doing ops intel fusion and teaching people how to do that and uh, made a lot of made some made some pretty good money. Um, so I feel like it's almost a crime how much money we, <laughs> those guys are making. Um, but I enjoyed it. It was nice. So I did that for a year and a half, and um, I kind of saw the the writing on the wall because everybody that had, had, that was doing that, and I'm sure you've seen it too. When you do that, there's no really like corporate ladder. Not really. I mean, you just kind of, you kind of just continue doing what you're doing forever. And uh, I personally wanted to grow. I constantly am looking for the next thing. You want to grow and get better and learn things and, you know, progress in life. That's been, that's been the way I am since I was a kid. And uh, I saw that that wasn't, um, that wasn't happening. So I, uh, my contract ended. And so I started, I started my own company and my first company was survival and tactical systems. And I make a joke. So every good operator gets out, he goes contracts after he's done contracting. He, every good operator starts a training consulting company. So of course I did that. So, and, um, and luckily for me, it was a really good learning experience. That was my, really my first business. And I had no idea what I was doing. I had an idea. I had a passion for it. Of course, we, I kind of executed it on a, on a, some sort of a level. Um, but the full fruition of the business plan never came to fruition. Uh, you know, I would, I would say it's, it was one of my great failures. Um, but there's, I don't believe in failure. I believe in learning, learning lessons. And that's something that military people really have to learn that, you know, cause when you're in, you know, if you fail at anything, it's like, Oh my God, you, it, your life is destroyed. But I mean, life is full of failures. That's how we get better. And, uh, so I, that didn't work out, but shortly, well, I mean, it's the company's still together. I, I, we, we make a decent amount of money with it now, but I had to adjust, but we started the Raider project about three months after that, after, uh, so in February of 2014, um, a group of, a group of Raiders and I, um, with the help of Gallant Few started, started the Raider project. It's a nonprofit that helps. Marines transition from military life to uh, civilian life. And at the, at the time, I was still going through my own transition, and I had no freaking clue what I was doing or what was wrong with me. I was just kind of moving forward, kind of dragging, you know, kind of, it felt like I was walking through mud. And so, but I knew that there was a, I knew that there was a thing, you know, a, a need out there. And I was talking to a, a buddy, uh, you know, a teammate of mine, Josh Hansberger, who uh, actually him and I now still work together. It's been over 10 years now. Um, and I thought that if you could get a guy a job, then he was okay, right? Because that's what I did. I got out and immediately had a good job making lots of money. And as long as you're making lots of money, then it's all good, <laughs> right? It was as far as so farther from the truth. I mean, there's so much you know, going on with, you know, your baggage of your life and what you've done in the military and family and health and traumatic brain injuries. And I mean, there's just so many layers of the onion to, to, you know, getting a job is really, 
that we didn't even do that. Like that, that was supposed to be the mission is like, okay, we're going to use our network of individuals that we know, and we'll just bypass the HR process. And I'm going to get all these Raiders jobs when they get out. And I think, I, I don't even know if I do that. I don't think, I, I don't even remember the last person I've tried to help to get a job. Everything that we have done has been about health and healing and becoming a stable human being post-service. And we found that when somebody is healthy and stable and they found they, you know, they've transitioned and they found their new passion, um, that everything in life kind of just comes, uh, the universe lines up and, you know, the jobs happen, the money comes, uh, relationships get better. Everything else just kind of levels out and, and you kind of move forward. But man, I'll tell you what, that two or three years working on it is, was a rough time. That was a very, very rough time. And I went to some very, very dark spots. And, um, and, and going through that is really what gave me the ability to, um, truly help other, uh, service members go through their own transition to become, and then what it really is, it comes down to an identity crisis, right? So I was talking to a Marine Raider the other day and I said, okay, if you're, if you're not a Marine Raider, if you're not a recon Marine, yeah, he's one of the guys who happens to be both as well. Um, what are you? And he's like, dude, I, I don't know. Like I, this, my whole life is, is wrapped up into this. Like, yeah, your whole identity, everything that you are is this thing, right? So if you're not this thing, then what are you? That's, and that's where the crisis comes in. That's where the identity crisis comes in. And you, I mean, you just go through all kinds of bad, bad juju. And I actually do a very, I do a keynote, um, called the seven stages of transition it's on it's also on my youtube channel and i and i challenge anybody grab your popcorn put your feet up grab a notebook and if if you matter of fact any person in the world has ever gone if you've been divorced if you've been fired if you've gone through i mean you've lost somebody you know you've gotten out of the military abruptly or eas or retired whatever it may be watch that video and we, i talk about the seven stages of transition that a human being goes through and then what to do about it and um, that's really, and that's came from the last four years of me, me running the Raider Project and helping vets transition. And I just saw the same thing happen over and over and over. It was just, I saw this trend and I'm like, wait a minute. So I, out, I outlined this, this, this trend and I'm actually writing a, writing kind of, I guess you could call it a self-help book um, on the seven stages of transition using my own personal stories. Um, so hopefully I can find a publisher that will publish it. Um, but but they, that's, I, I think that will help a lot of people. And I've actually gotten a lot of people from law enforcement, corrections. I've gotten civilians. I've gotten women that have gone through divorces that have, that have watched that speech and said it's helped them. So it really isn't just a military thing, even though it's kind of targeted that. But it really is a, a human being thing, which I think is extremely special. Um, Do you know, um, when, you, when you talk about that, Nick, and the, the one thing that sort of stands out for me is that, that, that um, transition that you talk about, it's, it's very easy for people to get that, you know, regardless of whether they're a clinician or whether they're the person going through it themselves, is that we can confuse ourselves and think that that's PTSD. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. People, people yeah. have been getting medicated when realistically all that's happening is the transitioning. And I yeah. think what you're doing and what you've done, I mean, if that actually, if that gets out to where it needs to go, you'd probably see a real change in the way that, um, you know, soldiers, warriors, you know, veterans, however we're going to call them, see themselves. 
Absolutely, and that's and that's what the, I think that's and my and I in the speech in the speech I'll, and I'll and John I'll send you I'll send you the link for it in the speech I say look I'm not talking about PTSD I'm I'm going to leave that to, I'm going to leave that to professionals what I'm talking about is you and your relationship with yourself yeah and it, that's what I'm saying people are and I, I really think that that's happening because you know I speak to a lot of guys that are getting out of the military and and then they've they've gone from being potentially says a sergeant major in um, the paras or you know wherever wherever they've been and it's very very hard to then go to 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 have that feeling of i'm nothing now absolutely and that's and that's the i think it's really important that we concentrate on those those people just generally because they're getting they're getting kind of pushed in the you've got ptsd and you you know you haven't you've just served <laughs> and you just right. you just need to transition and, and 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 get guidance from guys like you or you know people like me that and that's i think that's a really really honorable thing that you're doing so it's you know as nick was talking about it you know we we talked to so many different people from different backgrounds um you know mainly special ops but combat arms generally and um a lot of people it seems that's where people kind of get lost in the sauce a little bit is that transition period um but I know Chantel, for you, when you you got out of the military and you went immediately into contracting, um, yeah, I did. And then you done it for you did it for a couple of years. Uh, did you feel like that, like that was something that you kind it kind of you needed to do that in order to make that transition? Yeah, because it's almost like a, I'm not saying it waters you down because you're still I, you know I went contracting back into hostile environment and spent another another six years out there, but it was a way of. I still, I was almost still grasping hold of, I couldn't let it go, go totally. And I, I guarantee this is that probably even in 20 years time, I'll still have some form of ties to the military. And I don't oh, mean, of course. In, you know, I, I, I now advocate for the British National Army Museum. So there's always something because, do you know what? Because I want to, and it's not because, because I, I sort of realized where my path was going and I'm, I'm really happy with it, but I still, I'm still interested and I still want to support people either leaving or people that are still serving or, you know, or, or just sort of to help um, keep keep people interested in the, the history. So, for instance, I'm, I'm now trying to look at getting school children to go and visit our museums and, and, and that's a way of, I guess, it's not keeping your hand in, but it's a way of still... Because it still interests me. You know, well, I'm, you're, 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 you're staying connected to your community, but yeah. not in a, not in an unhealthy way, but in a way, the same way that I've, like when I first did it, I, I, you know, I felt like almost maybe it was an unhealthy way, but now it's, I'm at a place that I'm stable and happy and I know who I am outside of the military. Um, yeah. But I want to be able to assist those. And that, and that is, and you, I mean, you got to think like these guys at World War II um, that spent, that got drafted, spent three years in the Marine Corps, you know, and they talk about, <laughs> they talk about, you know, World War II or Vietnam for the rest of their life until the day they die. And they only right. spend a fraction of their life in there. It's because it's such an impactful experience on your life. It stays with you forever. Right. Absolutely. It, 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 that's, that's also an interesting point to bring up. I mean, I know guys who served in Vietnam and Vietnam wasn't a very long war, at least compared to what, you know, what the GWAT has been. Right. You know, those experiences are so profound, you know, kind of uh, walking on that edge of, uh, you know, life and death and, and kind of the bonds that you, you build or in some cases uh, people are, are, are injured, uh, you know, very serious injuries or injuries that you can't see on the surface, like a brain injury right. or something like that. Um, 
And it's just, it's just something that impacts your life. I mean, any, any kind of traumatic event kind of does that for you. But, uh, you know, I, I would guess being in the, in that environment for a number of years is like kind of the, the, uh, the highest level of that in a way. Yeah. And I think it's important that, you know, for, again, when we say the transition is it, we just, we just mustn't let things consume us. Cause it, you know, if it, as soon as that starts to happen, that's what, again, when, you know, real problems occur, cause you can't, cause then it's almost impossible to find, find yourself again. You know, it's almost like they yeah. are these, these experiences that we've had are, are really, really important and we must never forget. And we must always, you know, and, and learn to, I don't know, see more, more sort of positive things that come from them. Even the fact of, say, for instance, if you were a, a platoon sergeant and you've, you've dealt with all that, that sort of real bad admin of the battlefield and, and, and you can, you can almost turn that into a positive because that, those sorts of skills, you, you know, you just can't learn that by going to university and you, you wouldn't get that sort of practical application anywhere else in the world. So it's almost a case of, I don't know, just learning to be a bit kinder to ourselves, I guess. You know what I found fascinating on the on the Brit side as well is I was telling so I was on a discovery show um, called Trailblazers a couple years back yeah. and and I was on there with Gats who is a former S- SBS guy and uh, absolutely love him I mean he's he's just an absolute riot but we we got on the talk about you know what I was doing on the side and everything and. Yeah. And I told him a little bit about it in a story and he was absolutely blown away because he was talking about himself and he told me a very personal story and man, I literally could have like taken his name out and put an American's name in there and it was the same. And yeah. he was talking about his friends and all the stuff that they've gone through in the transition and you know, what they hold on to and you know, struggles getting out. But, um, it was amazing to see how similar, you know, how, you know, obviously we're in different countries and different militaries but how similar the experiences that the human beings go through um at the same time yeah yeah it's um you know it's something we've talked about before um nick uh i'm gonna assume that you have an interest in history um yeah i'm not definitely not a history major or anything but i absolutely have an interest in it right and and uh, I'm, I'm saying that based on like i've seen like some of the vacations you've taken and stuff and um oh yeah from what I've seen is like warriors from all kind of generations and, and times in history that it's all very similar, even cultures that didn't know the other culture existed. And, um, I think anyone who just looks at a little bit of the history, you'll see that, um, you know, if you look at the Vikings, you look at the Spartans, you look at, um, you know, samurais or whatever, some, those are some of the more known, um, groups, but right. it, I think it's all there. And it's, it's the same thing for today. You know, it, it's just, the way human beings react to uh, war and, and, and deep levels of trauma and, and kind of going deep into the, the uh, kind of human emotion realm, you know? Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, and that's kind of the thing. Like, if you can learn about those guys and, and, and learn about the history, I think that it benefits us as a whole, you know, especially knowing what, knowing what we know now. Yeah. So, Nick, on the- on the um, the the Rages uh, project, how how do you fund it all? How does that that work? Is it a charity? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a charity. We follow in a gallant few. Um, yeah. we, you know, we didn't have any rich uncle, so we don't we don't have you know hundreds of thousands of dollars given us to us a year. Uh, so 
I, I did the best I could. Or we did the best that we could. Yeah. And uh, we actually start, we, we take donations, um, but that doesn't cut it. That doesn't pay for all the programs and services. So we, we actually sell a, a, a buttload of apparel and yeah. accessories at Raider Project to raise money um, for the organization. And, uh, you know, of course, we, all, we need more. Um, but, we, you know what, I, the, you know, every time that I get a little nervous, because uh, we're about to go do something, like, for instance, we, you know, went on a climbing trip and, you know, or some guy needs to go through a, uh, um, some sort of inpatient therapy that, and nothing's going to, no one's going to pay for it. And here I am, stri- you know, stressing out about writing a check that I technically can't cash. You know, the universe provides. And um, it's been amazing to see over four years literally like i've been on the edge of like oh man i don't, I don't know if we're gonna be able to pull this off and it just happens something yeah. happens you know and uh so we we make it happen through that of course we're 501c um c3 and um but yeah that's how we do it sales and donation obviously when the podcast goes out we can we'll put some things out um for the radio oh, project thank you of the time it's it's always better to sort of do it you, you do it separately, but if, if some people don't know it exists, they wouldn't know then where to donate. So. Right, right. And and then you know what? We're not a, you know, a, we're not a bunch of like, well, you know, I'm college graduated now, but you know, generally we're not like some big civilian businessmen. We're just a bunch of team guys, yeah. enlisted team guys that are trying to help our fellow Marines, and that's what it comes down to. And you know, so we're we don't always do things. Maybe maybe like the the shiny shiny five hundred one c three that have millions of dollars, but um, um, but we take care of our guys and we do the best that we can and uh, and it's been it's been nice to to stay to stay in the trenches, and that's kind of what's been great is just even though we're small, we're able to stay on the ground floor. We're connected with the actual people. We're not removed from the situation. You know what I mean? I think sometimes nonprofits can get so big that they're actually removed from yeah. the situation that they're helping. And we, you know, I'm really thankful that we're not I, I, in that, in that way. I think that it's really great to stay connected to the individuals that need help and, uh, and, and just really be in it with them. Okay. I just, I'll, I just want to ask this question. How's your mom? What's she doing with the, with this best-selling book? What's she up to? Oh, she's she's doing good. I just uh, filmed a Q and A with her out in Nashville. We went and visited her. It was my grandmother's 85th birthday, and uh, so we just we just uh, filmed a Q and A. So I got to edit that and get that up on the YouTube channel. But uh, she's doing good. She's writing her, I don't know, sixth book, I think, sixth or seventh is, book published. Biographies or is it, is it fiction? Um, it's mystery, southern mystery. And then this last one, it was called Praying for Strangers, and it uh, it was basically my brother and um, – she's going to love this. <laughs> my brother and I both deployed at the same time. I, I was in Afghanistan, and he, he went to um, – he went to – he was in Iraq. So, of course, she was like, oh, this is not legal. You can't take both my sons to war. I was like, mom, it's a volunteer force. It's, it's not the 40s anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, was, what was your brother in? Sorry. He was he was in the guard. He's in the he's in the National Guard. So he's since he's since gotten out and he's got a bunch of kids that, that he's raising. He's doing well. Um, but yeah, we were both deployed simultaneously, and she was kind of beside herself. So she kind of said, "You know what? I'm going to meet somebody and I'm going to pray for them uh, every day, and I'm going to I'm going to make it about their story and just kind of somehow stay connected to a community." And 
And uh, instead of worrying about my own stuff, I'm just going to kind of not necessarily worry about somebody, but kind of give, you know, pour it into somebody else. So this book is basically about, you know, us going off to war and how she, what she, what she did to cope. And yeah, national bestseller. Look at that. Nice. That's brilliant. And what, what, you know, what, what a great, a great like story, a turnaround for, you know, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? Considering um, where you were with kids. Oh, absolutely. That's what I give her. I give her crap about it. I'm like, you couldn't have, you couldn't have pulled a rabbit out of a hat when we were, when we were young kids. (laughs) Right. That's pretty awesome though. It's just good. Yeah. So it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to watch, uh, you know, her kind of, I mean, she's been writing since I was a, you know, since I could, since I was a baby. And, uh, so it's exciting to see after all these, these years, um, you know, all this kind of really positive stuff kind of pay off for, but that's the way it is, right? It's, it's, it's a slow grind and you just got to keep at it. And it right. just, that's it. And, and things happen differently for different people. So for people like just generally anybody listening, you know, if it doesn't happen for you right away, you shouldn't get discouraged because, you know, situations like that oh, can happen, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you, you can't quit just at the beginning, I mean, that's why that's like my sign off, never quit, never surrender, always move forward. I mean, you just, you cannot quit because, there's only the only person stopping you from being successful is yourself. Right. So, um, so let, let, let's wrap up talking about your U S uh, Marine Corps prep. And then, yeah. and then I'd like to talk about your vlog quickly. Um, okay. Uh, like uh, as far as the traveling stuff, cause I, I find that uh, pretty interesting. Um, so, oh, so John, are you stalking Nick? That yeah, like I am. I am actually. <laughs> you and, you and forty-one other thousand people, so it's okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm gonna get on the list. <laughs> awesome, thank you. Um, yeah, so you know, I, you know, I've been because of my past. I really have a passion for youth, right? I, if I can, one of these days, I'm gonna be even more successful. And my my goal is to do something with troubled youth. I don't know what that is, um, but I really would like to do something with troubled youth, and I'd really like to do something integrating veterans with troubled youth and kind of tying the two kind of healing people together. And, uh, I'm sure it's being done somewhere in the United States, but I just feel like if you can affect the youth in a positive way, then your, your second thorough effects on a generation is going to just be, you know, multiplied. Right. And you could do, and I know people have done the math on this. Um, you know, if you can affect one child, vice one adult, what the, what the second thorough effects of that is. So Josh Hansberger and I, where, you know, we developed this program. We were, I was getting hit up by so many young guys that are wanting to join the military. And, you know, and, and unfortunately we're just not in on a youth side because of social media and because of video games and TV, you know, and I, I mean, no disrespect to any youth out there, but just kids are not as active as a whole, right? They're not as active as they were. So when they decide, okay, I'm going to join the military. Well, you've been sitting in your basement playing video games for the last five years. Like, <laughs> You know, like you're going to have, you're going to struggle and a lot of kids are overweight. So we wanted to help them. They were, and they were reaching out and asking for this kind of help. So I said, okay, what are we going to do? So we developed a program to a 12 week program to help them basically max out their scores in the military and help them get ready for basic training. And what's cool is, and you know, I, I didn't plan this, but we, it's such a great physical training program to help you max out your PFT, your CFT, and your swim qual. 
But what it really does is help you build a really solid fitness foundation. I mean, if you go through this 12 week, you're going to have a really, really solid foundation to build upon. And some of the kids have to go through it twice, you know, because now their scores are higher, but they're not where they need to be. So they, so we retest them and they run another 12 weeks. But of course, this time their scores are higher. So their performance is higher. So they're getting even every time they're getting a little better. Um, but we've got SWAT guys that are trying out for SWAT that are on it. We've got guys that are going into the FBI. We've got people that are just wanting to develop that. I've got old Marines that are buying it. Um, it's only 35 bucks and that are, that are buying it to just kind of get back into that Marine Corps kind of shape, that basic level of fitness. And, um, and what's, I think one of the really cool things is, is we have a private group that when you when you get the book, you get access to the private group, and Josh and I are there to kind of coach people along for whatever questions they may have, and they're and they're not always fitness questions. They could be life questions, you know, or diet questions, or you know, struggles on this and that. But we, you know, that's a that's a platform for us to kind of consolidate um, consolidate uh, you know that kind of those questions and and get the help to the people that need it. So it's been really it's been super rewarding, and it's I like it's kind of funny because now we're you know, we're, we started with helping veterans transition out and now, and now we're also helping guys get in. So we're, we're, we're getting them on, we're getting them on both ends. Um, and then we recently just released, just Boy, released, like, go ahead. Like I'm an agency there. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty, um, it's really cool. I make, I make a joke that basically now I feel like I'm, I'm like a special operations union rep. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like, like, don't answer that. Don't talk to your commanding officer. Like, he's not going to answer that, you know, and I'm, I feel like I'm somebody's union rep. Um, but uh, we just launched a the Marstock prep, the Raider prep, um, and so that's been exciting. And uh, I don't recommend any, you know, people buy that that's not very, very serious or have a very serious foundation of fitness. Um, but, yeah, we've just we've launched those both on, our, on my website, and uh, they're doing good. It's been exciting. It's been exciting to see the positive reaction from – some what we have going on and w- cool. w- what's your website for people interested in, in any of those programs uh so you can go to www.usmcprep.com or www.raiderprep.com p-r-e-p.com uh, so um and they both point to my website and there's a there's a page for each of those that you know kind of outlines it and gives you a little deal and then i actually we talk about it in that video the recon and marsoc video and we're actually going to build one for recon as well so uh beginning of next year uh josh and i we're going to take a break because we're exhausted but uh beginning of next year we're going to work on a on a recon prep book and uh hopefully i I might i might try to go out to brc and do some do a video out there brc Uh, and uh you're talking about uh, black rifle coffee no 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 basic reconnaissance course okay there you go yeah (laughs) so um um, yeah, so that's going to come in the, in to, in the beginning of 2018. And I think that's where we're going to hold off right now. I think that, you know, that we're going to try to stay in our lane and, and go with what we know and, and, um, try to help some people out. And, and the biggest thing is we didn't really do it because we really, I mean, we want to, but it was really asked, it was asked of us by the community, you know, people that follow us to say, we would really like this. So you have to listen to the people, right? That's the biggest thing I learned in business is, you know, you might have a good idea and be in love with it. But if nobody else is, then it's, you know, it's, it's yeah. not really a great idea. You have to adjust. You, you got to find the need of the people and, and, and give them what they want and, uh, and you'll be successful. So you just have to listen to your customer base, listen to your follow base and, you know, cause they will always give you the hundred percent truth of their truth. 
They will always be honest with you, <laughs> especially on YouTube. Yeah, Some, yeah sometimes be honest. <laughs> oh man, some of the some of the stuff I read in the comments, I mean, I'm just blown away. Okay, so let's um let's wrap it up. You know, talking about the vlog there. Um, yeah. Uh, and, we, and, so, and some of the travel stuff, you know, which I, I have a, a interest in. I think it's pretty cool. I so I uh, it was an accident. So I I started I started my first company, and I realized that you know I you know you're trying to be the great man. Before I got out of the military, I wasn't on the internet. If you looked up Nick Kumalatos, you wouldn't find me. Um, and then slowly, because of business and marketing, like you have to market your business then you have to, you know, obviously be out there and do commercials and, you know, ads and that sort of thing. So we did that. And the more I did it, the more it worked, even though it was super uncomfortable. And if you know, anybody listening, believe it or not, it's still super uncomfortable. If you've ever walked through an airport talking to yourself, talking to a camera by yourself, it is extremely awkward, but you just have to own it and you got to, you got to go there. And, um, so, uh, my girlfriend went to film school and, back like 13 years ago who happens to be in the, I, I I'm actually in film school at the same university and she was our kind of our marketing director and, and really kind of helped me kind of find this. And then as we moved along, it just became more and more like I really enjoyed the discovery deal happen. I absolutely felt in love with the creative process and uh, being able to tell stories and film and edit and that sort of thing. And that's really where I found my passion Obviously, it's too much. I wanted to spend my GI Bill to go to school for it. And so we got rid of a business, and so we unloaded one business. And the goal was when we unload that business, we're going to go start YouTube full-time. And we started it last April, and, um, and that's really you – know, uh, it's amazing that anybody wants to watch. I mean it's, I feel it's kind of uh, – any YouTuber will tell you, like any good YouTuber will tell you, it's like you know, it's very uh, – what's the word? I don't know. Different. Yeah, like well, just to think that somebody wants to watch your your daily life, that you're that interesting, that somebody gives a shit about what you're doing, um, you know. So it's amazing that that people watch, and 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 that's the reason why I try to use it as an outlet for positivity to motivate and inspire people to be better and to do better, you know. And that's all I've gotten. That's you know, I don't want to ever push negative stuff out there. Right. If I do, if I do, if it is negative, then it needs to be constructive with a solution. Um, and to help someone, you know, but I think like the world, we have enough negative shit going on in this world that I, I don't think that I need to add to it. So I really want that channel to be a place of learning and, and, uh, and positivity and people have, I mean, I, the messages that I get are absolutely, um, humbling and inspiring that they, you know, this, I mean, it's just amazing what I, the, the, I get about how, you know, they've decided to make life changes for the better. And they've, that somehow through this channel, we've inspired people to have a better life and yeah. to make better choices. And that's, yeah. that I think is just, I mean, that's amazing to me. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. That, I think that's the kind of the best part of it. Um, when you have a platform, uh, online, you're specifically, uh, you know, cause I used to do YouTube uh, before I started doing this and we're pretty successful with it. And, and for me, that was the best part of it to, to have like people film a video, you know, do before and after. It was it was a fitness uh, based, right? And and just talk about how much their life has changed for the better, you know. And and we had a, a rule at the company that, um, 
because the the industry we're in we were in had a lot of politics and a lot of negativity. Oh, of course. Yeah. So we, we had a rule that we would never put any of that out publicly. You know, if there was any negativity or anything, we kept it in house, and we just kind of kept that, um, you know, like a, a a class act, so to speak. And I, I feel like that has the best uh, results because there are a lot of kids paying attention to it, and and like you were saying before, you know, you you help one kid, you help one adult, and it just you know that that kind of good energy just hits different people and it really has a a bigger effect than you can imagine and then once you see the results of that it really kind of blows you away you know absolutely and that the like the results from it and what we've done and what we've been able to affect in some youth and even even guys that have gotten out has been i mean uh, inspiring for me it makes me want to try harder it makes me want to work harder and uh because you are helping people and um I mean, that's what it's about at this point for me. I mean, I'm done. I'm done being a tough guy. And I tell people all the time, they're like, oh, you're a badass. I'm like, no, man, I'm just a dad and a dude that's a, I'm a film student. You know, I'm, I'm those days for me being a tough guy and trying to act tough and all that kind of stuff. They're, they're, they're long gone. Um, now it's, you know, it's something different for me. You say, um, and you're just saying about you, you, about the understanding of people wanting to watch you on TV. Well, in the, in the UK, we have a thing called Gogglebox and it's basically a program about people watching TV. So we're, we're essentially now watching a group of people who are watching a television program. You, I've, I've yeah. heard, I've, yeah, because uh, all the production companies that I've worked for are all been Brit production companies, except, yeah. except for this new project that I'm on right now. Um, and I don't mind admitting to I watch that because it's quite funny. <laughs> That's what they said. I, I've never seen it. it. Is hilarious. I've never it's seen funny. it, but they said that it's, they said that it's great. Yeah, this, I mean, it's so popular. They, they've even, like, they now have... Um, you know, celebrities on there. They've had a couple of politicians. It's actually, really, it's because they have moments of like hilarity, and then it'll go to they'll be watching a really sad show, and it just shows that the humanity, regardless of how much money you have, that there are people are affected. So they had one really? watching a, a program about um, a young girl, you know, who'd um, had terminal cancer. I mean, it was just clearly that's really upsetting for for most people watching, and it just right. showed that everyone's reaction was the same. You know, there was all, and it was, it's actually quite an interesting concept. The when you first hear about it, you think, "What, well, you know, what the fuck is this?" And then when you actually see the the sort of power of it, it's quite interesting. Well, it's you know why, and that's the reason why I work so hard communicating with everybody and replying to everybody because it's connection. Yeah. You have to connect with people, and that's what I think that that's doing. Just based off what I've heard, because I had the same reaction yeah. too. I was like, "What the hell? Well, how is this a thing?" <laughs> but that's yeah. really what it is: is you're connecting people to people. And that's what we all crave. We all crave connectivity to one another. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so Nick, the, the first thing I saw, and I don't remember how the hell I, I saw this video, um, but I, I saw one of the videos you had for Iceland. And uh, I always had an interest in, in visiting there. And I'm actually going to visit there pretty soon. And uh, it's funny because... Um, I can't remember if you had a drone or not in that video, but I was looking at getting a, a cheap drone. Um, uh, DJI is a pretty good drone maker, top-notch drone maker. Oh, absolutely. Um, so they, they have this drone called the Spark. Where it's, it's small. You can kind of put it in your, yeah, in your yeah, book bag. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to get a Spark, and, and I'll wait till Black Friday or Cyber Monday and, and get a little discount on it. And, um, you know, a couple of days later, I end up, getting uh so i ordered the phantom four um <laughs> yeah yeah so i spent way too much money but um 
you know, I, I want to go to Iceland and, and really get some cool footage. It's, it's a, it's really a place that's really kind of, uh, great for like landscape videography. Oh man. I, it's, it is, you can't, as great as the videos are, I mean, you just still can't, can't get have, it. Yeah. You can't get it. I would, I was editing and it, it's awesome. You put the music together. It's, it just looks amazing. But like the difference with just riding around there, I mean, you're just speechless the whole time. You're just like, I can't believe this is this is part of our planet. Right. Um, that's John's, absolutely wonderful. John's going to use it for criminal activity. He's bluffing. <laughs> 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 You'll see John's drone. It'll be the global recon drone yeah, turn around. With a sticker, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They. Uh, so, did you watch the one where we lost the drone? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh yeah, there's a there's a whole drone chronicle uh, part of. I think it was the second episode. It just, yeah, we uh, we had a Phantom Four go down, never recovered. Oh man, Dan, oh, oh, that hurts my oh, heart. <laughs> oh, everybody, that whole episode. Everybody that watched that episode was like, I can't believe this is real. Is this real? Is this really happened? You really? <laughs> I'm like getting, I'm getting DMs and emails and all kinds of stuff. Like, what happened to the drone? I'm like, the thing's gone, man. Um, but DJI took care of it. They replaced it. It was their fault. Um, okay. Yeah. It landed. It actually just had a critical error and decided to land in a set of rapids. Oh shit! Right in the water. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I was looking at footage of the Spark, and the Spark is good because it's um, the, obviously the video quality isn't as good as the Phantom Four, but it's good for um, traveling and whatnot. Um, but you know, after looking at the footage, I'm like, hey, you know, what? I would like something a little better than this. And, and yeah. that's how I ended up with the Phantom Four, uh, which isn't—it's a—it's a much bigger drone. But um, I would so, highly recommend the Mavic Pro. It, highly recommend. It's kind of in the middle there. Yeah, well, it's—it's it's it's really the same, almost the same quality. It's 4K, but it—I mean, it folds up, and I mean, I've—I've I've never looked back after getting that. Right, and you know that's kind of where I ended up at when I was looking, when I was shopping. Um, it, it basically was down to the the Mavic or the Phantom. Um, but you know, I just said, you know, what the hell I'll get the Phantom and, and, uh, and, and carry around big bags and shit like that. Uh, that's what, that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> big boxes everywhere we go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Nick, if anyone listening wants to keep up with you, uh, and, and what you got going on, like on social media, where can they go to do that? Well, if you, if you type in. On YouTube, if you, obviously my name, NickKumalatsis.com, but if you go to YouTube, is also my name. Um, at this point, I think you could type in Marine Raider, and it, that video is probably going to pop up. Uh, so, um, But yeah, it's not hard to find. So and then if you go to my website, all of my stuff's on there, all of my links. I mean, you guys, anybody needing anything, message me on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and uh, I'll get back to you. All right, cool. Um, it, it was awesome to have you on here. Uh, you know, talk about several different things. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's all good stuff. It's all positive, uh, which is to me, one of the best things about it. And, um, you know, we appreciate you coming on. And also I just want to thank you for your service as well. Thank you. It's been finally, finally after a year, we made it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's really positive, Nick. It's really, really good to meet you all be on Skype. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. All right, cool. Talk to you soon. All right.